0: took a class over the winter term at Luther Seminary called God, Evil, and Suffering with Dr. Lois Malcolm and Dr. Catherine Schifferdecker. And this class examined the ways in which the Bible and our Christian tradition consider evil and suffering in the world. And there was a focus in that class on the book of Job as we discussed how the consideration of evil and suffering in the Christian tradition informs our task um, as ministers of the gospel of interpreting and confessing scripture and the good news in a contemporary world and contemporary setting. And in this class we we spent a lot of time um, discussing the theodicy of God. And when I saw in the lectionary that this week's text came from the book of Job for the Old Testament, Um, The Lord just put it upon me to preach this message called The God Who Suffers, taken from Job, chapter 1 and chapter 2. Our text today comes from the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 1, and then continuing in chapter 2, the first 10 verses. There once, once a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. One day, the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still persists in his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him for no reason. Then Satan answered the Lord, Skin for skin, all that people have they will give to save their lives. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, he is in your power. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted loathsome sores on Job from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Job took a pot shard with which to scrape himself and sat among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. These are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We begin this morning with a reading from a book called Night by Jewish author and Holocaust survivor, Elie Wiesel. Never shall I forget that night, the first night in camp that turned my life into one long night, seven times sealed. Never shall I forget that smoke. Never shall I forget the small faces of the children whose bodies i saw transformed into smoke under a silent sky never shall i forget those flames that consumed my faith forever never shall i forget the nocturnal silence that deprived me for all eternity of the desire to live never shall i forget those moments that murdered my god and my soul and turned my dreams to ashes. Never shall I forget those things, even if I were condemned to live as long as God himself. Never. End quote. Will you pray with me? Lord of this place, and Lord of all creation, open our ears to hear Open our hearts to receive. Open our hands to do your work. Amen. The author, Eli Wiesel and Job, have a lot in common with one another, but perhaps not in the way that you would expect. Wiesel was a Romanian Jew. And Job is thought to be Syrian. Job isn't a traditional Hebrew name, and the ancient text that bears his name as the title for his book dates to a time when we can associate certain literary qualities of the text with ancient Babylonian or Syrian texts of similar structure. But both Wiesel and the biblical Job were men of extraordinary faith. Both men had families they dearly loved. Job, seven sons and three daughters. Wiesel, a father, mother, and a little sister. Both men experienced some level of economic prosperity. Job possessed thousands of sheep, camels, oxen, donkeys, and servants, all symbols of a well-lived life. Wiesel was less wealthy, but he grew up comfortably in a farming family in northwestern Romania. He spoke Yiddish at home, but also German, Hungarian, and Romanian. His father, Wiesel said, was a voice of reason and humanism in his life, while his mother promoted faith and piety in his formative years. In March of 1944, when Wiesel was 15, Germany invaded and occupied the town where Wiesel was born. He and his family were first sent to a confinement ghetto, then to the concentration camp Auschwitz where 90% of people were killed upon arrival. And finally, they were sent to the concentration camp Buchenwald in Germany. His mother and sister were killed at Auschwitz, but he and his father were selected for manual labor at Buchenwald, so long as they both remained able-bodied. Wiesel's father was killed before the camp was liberated. Wiesel survived liberation and went on to become a Nobel Peace Prize winning author, professor, and speaker. Other than the similarities that I just mentioned between Wiesel and Job, you might be wondering what this biblical story and the horrific story of a Holocaust survivor would have in common that bring them both here to our worship today. The answer is that both of these men witness to a God who suffers. They both experience that God is not a God that only suffers with us, but that God is a God that suffers like us. How do we see this God that suffers through the biblical text of the account of Job? It brings us comfort as people of faith to think of a God who suffers alongside of us so that when we stand in the hospital room or the parlor of the funeral home, we know that we don't stand alone. Shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad, Job asks, and we marvel at his enduring faith in the midst of human suffering. Yet it is not only a God that suffers alongside us that Job and Wiesel encounter. It is a God that suffers like us, as we suffer. In the biblical text, the Satan, a title rather than a proper name, who is an accuser in God's holy courtroom, seeks to sift Job, to test his dedication to God and to try his faith. You know this story, though we did not read every line of it in our biblical reading. Job, a holy and righteous man, is tested by the accuser. His children, wealth, and physical strength are all taken away. In the middle of the book, Job's friends arrive, first to sit with him in his grief, and then later to incite him to curse God and die, as Job's wife also unhelpfully suggests. Yet, in spite of his suffering the discouragement of his friends, the weakness of his body and soul. Job persists in faithfulness, in choosing to look for God in the face of the most terrible circumstances any one in humankind has ever endured. And, in the end, God rewards Job for his faithfulness. At the beginning of this biblical narrative, the story of Job's holiness is almost an experiment in hyperbole. A man who sacrifices to God after every family dinner just to make sure he has the unintentional sins of his children covered. A man who sacrifices every day. And his wealth also is exaggerated with the biblical text regaling us with the use of formulaic or symbolic numbers to emphasize that Job has been rewarded with the possession of great wealth, seven sons and three daughters, ten, a perfect number. He is, in essence, the perfect man. Yet, the Satan chooses Job for this morbid experiment to turn humanity against God. Is this experience so different from Wiesel's experience with God in 1944? What kind of God did Elie Wiesel encounter? At Auschwitz, Wiesel recounts how the Jewish men who were sentenced to die in the gas chambers prayed the Kaddish, a 13th century prayer for the dead, as they waited their turn in line. He says, May his name be celebrated and sanctified, whispered my father. For the first time, I felt anger rising within me. Why should I sanctify his name? Wiesel goes on. The Almighty, the eternal and terrible master of the universe, chose to be silent. What was there to thank him for?? End quote. Yet, even in that awful space, Wiesel found himself praying the Gadish alongside his father. In spite of his anger, hurt and pain, Wiesel looked everywhere in Auschwitz for God. But where he actually found God is the most surprising part. Of the story of the God that suffers with us. For there is no suffering apart from God's presence. Some of Wiesel's fellow prisoners wondered if God was testing the Jews there. They wondered if Satan had asked God to test them as he had done with Job. Wiesel says, I concurred with Job. I was not denying God's existence. But I doubted his absolute justice. And yet, the God of the night of the Holocaust was the God of Job, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and the God of Jesus Christ, who comes to us when we are vulnerable, when we are alone. And when we suffer. That God suffers with us, will never leave us alone, and always stands up when we are accused on our behalf. That God suffers. All of us have experienced suffering and evil though few of us could claim to have experienced the levels of despair that came to both of these men, Job and Elie Wiesel. Yet we have suffered. The last 18 months have shown us levels of suffering that I never expected to see in my generation. Not only have we experienced death and illness on a scale that I never could have imagined, but relationships have been destroyed. Partisanship has annihilated families. Racism has consumed neighborhoods, communities, and institutions. Nationalism has put an unrecognizable face of hatred on our society so that at times we don't even recognize some of our own brothers and sisters. The last 18 months have shown us a new level of suffering. Now, I have a confession to make to you all, all of you right up front here and now so that you know this terrible thing about me that you're just going to have to accept. Take a deep breath. Are you prepared? Yes, it's true. I am a millennial. That's right, a millennial. I love Twitter and technology, and shopping online. Obviously, I love podcasting. And I'm sorry, but it's important that you know this now so that you can manage your disappointment in the future. Don't worry, though. My husband, Matt, is a little older than me. He's of Generation X, to be exact. So Matt balances my failings with a healthy dose of anecdotes about, I don't know, drinking water out of a water hose and Listening to cassette tapes, whatever those are, and watching all the original Star Wars movies in the real movie theater. All joking aside, though, none of us, none of us, whether you are a millennial like me, a Gen Xer, a baby boomer, a member of the silent generation, or someone who has absolutely no idea which generation you fall into or what I'm talking about none of us expected the suffering that we have seen in our world over the last 18 months. We didn't expect to see over 4 million people die with COVID-19. That's right. You did not hear me wrong. I double-checked that statistic. I triple-checked that statistic. Over 4 million people globally have died with COVID-19. None of us expected the level of suffering and pain that our world has endured over the last 18 months. No one, except for God, who experienced it all right along with us. This God suffers. God was in the ICU. Hooked up to a ventilator. Struggling to breathe. God was in Yemen, the country experiencing the greatest food insecurity of our time struggling to find enough food to eat, stomach swollen and distended, waking up every day wondering if it would be his last. God was in Afghanistan, grabbing onto the landing gear of the last plane to evacuate, covered in bruises and blood. God's house was destroyed, and the wildfires in California God's family was handcuffed and caged at the southern border. God lost everything. To a terrible hurricane. And God's son was brutally tortured and beaten, stabbed and murdered. This is the kind of God who suffers with us. For there is no suffering apart from God's presence. There is no suffering that God has not endured. Yes, this is the theodicy of who God is. God is a God who suffers not just with us, but like us. This is the hope that we have from the book of Job when Job was in such terrible despair that he wished for his own non-existence. This is the challenge that we have as people of faith. To look for the God who suffers and to ask not, why would God allow this to happen? But to ask, how must this hurt God? How must this make God suffer? How is God experiencing the pain that I am experiencing? And how can I trust that God is still the creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer in the midst of my own terrible pain? This is the God that Elie Wiesel found in Buchenwald. The God that suffers never left him, nor Job nor will God leave us. Where was God in the midst of suffering? Allow me to close with one more story from the long night that Elie Wiesel suffered in 1944. The SS then condemned a young boy to death, him and two other inmates. One day as we returned from work, we saw three gallows, roll call, The SS surrounding us, machine guns aimed at us, the usual ritual. Three prisoners in chains, and among them, the little one, the sad-eyed angel. The SS seemed more preoccupied, more worried than usual. To hang a child in front of thousands of onlookers was not a small matter. The head of the camp read the verdict. All eyes were on the child. He was pale, almost calm, but he was biting his lips as he stood in the shadow of the gallows. Where is merciful God? Where is he? Someone behind me was asking. At the signal, the chairs were tipped over. Total silence in the camp. On the horizon, the sun was setting. We were weeping. We were forced to look at the victim at close range. Behind me, I heard the same man asking, For God's sake, where is God? And from within me, I heard a voice answer. Where is he? Where is God? This is where, hanging there from this gallows. End quote. Where is God? This is where. Hanging there on that cross. Where was God in the midst of suffering? Suffering with us. Suffering for us. Suffering like us. Amen. You know, this message is really hard for us to hear about a God who suffers like we do because it reminds us so poignantly of our own suffering. And I just want to invite you, if you would like to get in touch, to feel free to send me an email or reach out in some other way to a person of faith that you can trust and find a safe place in which to unpack and discuss your own suffering and the pain that is in your life. Because while it is important to understand that God does suffer with us, it's also really important to recognize that God has given us resources for which to manage and deal with our human response and our emotional response to suffering and pain. Um, And so feel free to reach out to me, feel free to uh, send an email or again, contact another person of faith to work through your experience with suffering. I know that for me, that has been a powerful um, precursor to writing and delivering this message is just recognizing that um, my own pain and suffering comes with a lot of trauma. So again, my email address is dsgmyers at gmail. That's D is in Dana, S is in Snake, G as in Goldfish, M-Y-E-R-S at gmail.com. And I hope that this day will bring you peace and joy and that you will be fulfilled in knowing that the God who suffers suffered um, not in spite of you, not because of you, but that the God who suffers suffers because that God loves you so very much. You are a beloved child of God. Amen.